We are in week six today of a seven-part series. We'll close it out next weekend, and I'm very, very excited because I'm not closing it out next weekend. My wife is closing it out next weekend. So y'all get ready. Um, I've been hearing her as she's been preparing. She's been prepping for this moment, and, uh, and so she's going to close it out next weekend with prophecy. <laughs> and so, uh, end times, that's truth, all right? I gave her all the easy chapters. And so, we're going to, um, but this whole series has been built around this guy named Daniel and his friends, uh, three friends that he has, and how do they thrive in um, in a place that's godless, in a place that, that has, does not have the values of the Bible, have the values of God, and how do, you, how do you do that? And I think it's really actually applicable to where we are today. I mean, you know, as Christians, uh, we used to be the majority. We're no longer that. Um, we are still um, trying to fight for things that God fights for. We're not, we don't want to call sin good and, and good sin. We, we want to be a people who shine in the midst of the darkness, that when the times get darker, we get brighter. Amen? And so today we are in Daniel chapter 6, uh, and we're going to look at one of the top three most famous stories in all of the Bible. You don't even have to go to church to know this story. Most people who don't even go to church probably at least know this story. There's kind of a top three. I think there's Noah's in the ark. That's one of the top ones. Would y'all believe that that's, would y'all agree that that's a top one? Uh, Jonah and the well, I think that's a top one. And then today... Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel in the lion's den. So that's where we're going to go to. I've never in 22 years ever preached this topic. I've never preached this whole chapter. I've preached part of it um, in different messages, but I've never preached this whole passage. And so uh, today we're going we're gonna to go there. Now, um, about six years ago, I had the chance to bring my oldest son with me uh, to South Africa with me, which is one of my desires that as a father, I want to bring my boys on mission trips with me because I want them to see the world and see um, w- really what is like outside of just Jennings, Louisiana. And so we went to South Africa and we got a chance actually to go to, every time we go to South Africa, Pastor Willem, um, who's one of the churches that we partner with, um, always wants to get us on safaris and just different things. You, you know, you kind of, it's like when you come to Jennings, we bring them to like the crocodile little place up on the, you know what I'm talking about? Like you want to hold a crocodile. Well, when you go to South Africa, let me see. Let me show you what you hold. When you go to South Africa, this is what you hold. Yeah. So Pastor Bill was like, "Hey, you want to go hold a lion?" Sure. Okay. All right. Uh, and so we got to go there. Um, as y'all can tell, size a little older now. Um, but this is this is us holding uh, a baby lion. Now they're like super cute. This is the only cat that I like, by the way. Just want y'all to know. This is it. Um, but but we held we held this. We held this, it's cute and cuddly and all that stuff. You could feed it, it was all, all cool. Um, but after about six months, you, you can't do that anymore because they begin to start looking like this. And this is actually a real picture that I took right there on the farm, uh, was this one right here. I told him to say cheese, and <laughs> this is what he did. I think what he was actually doing, he was looking at Josiah going, fresh meat, fresh <laughs> Fresh meat. Look, let me show y'all how dangerous these actually are. You, you have to actually do it in between 
a barbed wire fence that's like this, that's, um, that's, you know, an electric fence and all that, but we got to get kind of up close and personal with them. And today we're looking at the story of Daniel in the lion's den, and I think uh, if you've probably been in church, and <laughs> you've probably had the flannel graph. I don't even remember flannel graphs. Y'all remember that? All the little flannel graphs and all that, and it, and it kind of makes that story um, look like it's like the little lion that we're holding. But the truth is, it's a, it's a lot more like, like this. And these, these animals are majestic, they're beautiful, but they are ferocious, ferocious. And, and so today, as we look at the story of Daniel and the lion's den, I want you to just imagine, we've looked throughout the story of Daniel about these guys going through really hard things. One was, of course, the fiery furnace, which would have been a deal. But, you know, the truth is, in the fiery furnace, you get thrown in, you're, you're incinerated, you're over. But with this, it's not that way. Um, this is one of probably the most gruesome way to die would be to, to die at the hands of, of a lion mauling you. Uh, these are incredible beasts. Actually, when they roar, you can hear their roar for miles, miles and miles. It was, it was such an incredible um, experience, and you don't really know it until you've, you've seen these. And so in Daniel chapter 6 today, we're going to look at this story right here. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background of what's happening in Daniel chapter 6. In, in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel was, was captive by the Babylonian Empire at about 15, 16 years old. In Daniel chapter 6, we go six chapters, he's now in his 80s. So we've seen eight decades now of Daniel's life. He has now served uh, under three kings. So we know at the very beginning, he served under a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. Last week, Pastor Dustin brought the word. Come on, how many Pastor Dustin, you do a good job? Did an incredible job. I watched. I watched it. I watched the replay of it. Did an awesome job. But you'll, you, if you were here last week, you know that it was a different king. It was King Belteshazzar, um, and then today is a whole nother empire, and this is King Darius. And uh, King Darius is a part of the Medo-Persians. If you remember week two of the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, that there was going to be different kingdoms that came that were going to conquer him, we finally have gotten to the Medo-Persians. They have defeated Babylon. They've taken over. So now here we are. Daniel has lived under three different kings. At, and he's now in his 80th year. King D, I'll call him King D, King D is a, he's a, an administrative guru. Um, he's, he's super administrative. And so when he becomes king, he starts to begin to set everything and reorganize everything, and he sets things up in order. And I want to show you, if you, if you got your Bibles, go to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to look in verse 1 through 3. And, and I want you to take note of something here. Yet again, remember, he's in his 80s now, okay? He's got his AARP card, all right? All right, he gets, he gets cheaper buffets, okay? He gets all those things that he has now. And it says this, that it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom a hundred satraps to be, through, to be throughout the whole kingdom. That's, that's like officials, that's, that's like leaders. I'm gonna set 120 leaders that are gonna be over all of the Babylonian empire. I'm gonna get 120 leaders and they're gonna help me rule this thing. And then I'm going to set over those 120, I'm going to set over them three high officials. 
And so 40, 40, 40, that, that a high official would be over 40 and another high official would be over 40 and so forth in there, of whom Daniel was one of those. Now, now, now keep watching. Remember, this is three different kings. Every time a new king would come in, he would, he would wipe out that administration and put a new administration, kind of like what our presidents and our governors and our coaches do, that when they come in, they bring in all their own guys. But yet, there's something about Daniel that every time he gets under a new king, every new king wants him. They want him. And I'm going to show you why that's the case, and we get a picture of why it is. It says, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became, everybody help me with this, became what? Distinguished Distinguished above all. Above all the men that he had, above all the leaders that he had, there was something that was so distinguished about the character of Daniel than the other high officials and satraps. It goes on and it says, and here's why. Because a what? Say that again. An excellent spirit. There was an excellent spirit that was in him. Now, we all know what the excellent spirit is. It's the spirit of God, right? That the spirit of God was residing in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. This is huge here. Now, yet again, can I just point out that Daniel is in his 80s. He's in his 80s. And I think this is such a huge part of, of who Daniel is because he's had distinguished character and an excellent spirit, not just in his 20s and his 30s and his 40s, but even into his 50s and his 60s and his 70s and his 80s, that he is such a distinguished man that every king wants him to be at the top, second in command right under them. There's something so unique about him. And I just want to say this to every seasoned person that's in here. Listen to me closely. Even as you get older, God still wants to do great things through you. God, listen, I I just started going throughout history because when you get into your golden years, there is a tendency to start believing that your best days are behind you and not in front of you. But I want you to hear me very closely that no matter what your age is, and especially as you get into the golden years, to realize that God sometimes even wants to do more amazing things through you. Does he want to do things through the next generation? Absolutely. Does he want us to empower and equip the next generation? Absolutely. But I mean, you know, there is something that God still has on you in that age group. At age 83, William Gladstone became the prime minister of Great Britain for the fourth time. At 85, John Wesley preached up to two to three times a day. 85, y'all. At 89, Michelangelo painted The Last Judgment, which was one of the most famous paintings in the entire world at 89 years old. At the age of 90, Thomas Edison was still filing for new inventions at the patent office. Winston Churchill won his first election at 62, And at 71, he led England into the World War II. And I think one of the top ones, Harold Sanders at 65 started Kentucky Fried Chicken. Come on, somebody. (laughs) So, it's not as good as Popeye's, but I mean, it's second best, okay? So, but I want you to hear me closely, and this is for all of us, really, but definitely as you get older, if you're not dead yet, you're not done yet. 
do not discount my best years are behind me. Here we are, Daniel, in his 80th year, could have just said, I'm kind of done with this. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to retire. I'm just going to retire. And honestly, what ends up happening is actually when you're in your greatest years where you can do the most impact for Jesus, because now usually money's not an issue anymore. You've worked for that. You've raised your kids. You've sent off your grandkids. You're in your sweet golden years of your grandkids and your great grandkids. How many of you know those are just God's blessings for you not killing your own children? You can send them home. It's amazing. Now think about this. This is... This is you, you work all of this time, and usually what ends up happening, that is kind of the American dream of I work all of this, and then I get into this place where I retire, and I do whatever I want for myself for the rest of my life. And however much there's an element of that that is true, man, how amazing it is that in those years you can make the biggest impact for the kingdom of God, though. Because now you have more time, you have more space, you have more wisdom, you have more experience. And if I can say anything to those that are in this house that are older than 50, we need you. We need you. This younger generation that's coming up that are in their 20s and 30s, and we want to give them opportunity, we want to give them platforms, we want to give them experience, but they need to be around people who are championing them. They need to be around people who are giving them wisdom. They need to be, and, and King D knew this. I could put a 20-year-old as the second in charge, but he said, no, 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 I'm going to get an 80-year-old that's seen some things, that's been through some things, and that still has an excellent spirit on him. Watch this, though. As you get older, you go from an excellent spirit to a critical spirit. So you have to be careful that as you get older, you don't get to a critical spirit, but you keep your excellent spirit. I mean, no, you want to, you want to keep that excellent spirit. And so what looks like a promotion, though, from the outside for Daniel, Daniel gets promoted to second in charge, which looks like an incredible promotion from the outside. What he's about to find out is that it's actually going to be trouble on the inside. Because the other two administrators, these other two uh, high officials, they get jealous and they go all hunger games on them. They're like, we're going to take this guy out. And, and so I want you to see what they're going to try to do to figure out how to take Daniel out. And it says in verse chapter, uh, chapter six, verse four, it says this, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. And it says, but they were unable to do so. So they're, they're, they're digging in. This is like what we have during elections. We're gonna find some dirt on them. We're going to find some dirt on them. I mean, no, this has been happening now for thousands of years. It's nothing new to the political realm that people are trying to find dirt on people that they're jealous of or people that they're trying to beat. This happened during Daniel's time. And so they're looking for dirt. They're looking for, for anything. They're searching all of his Facebook history. They're searching everything that they can find. They're looking all throughout his life. I'm sure they're interviewing family. They're trying to just figure out, going and talking with his friends, Tell us something about him that we can get him disqualified. And they couldn't find anything. They could find no corruption in him because he was what? And neither corrupt nor negligent. He was trustworthy. He was a trustworthy man. He was neither corrupt 
And so today I want us to look at a couple of lessons that I think we can get from the lion's den. A couple of things that we can learn from this story and from the life of Daniel, the life of King Darius, and as we watch what God does in the midst of it all. And the first thing, if you want to write something down, I want you to write this down, is that when God raises you up, expect people to tear you down. When God raises you up, expect people to tear you down. Just expect it. That as God is elevating you, the people that you would think would be celebrating you sometimes can be the ones who are most critical of you. Sometimes it could be because of jealousy. Sometimes it could be because of envy. Sometimes it could be, and so you need to understand that every time God is elevating you to higher positions of leadership, you, need, you know, and everybody wants to be a leader, and everybody wants kind of fame and glory, but everybody doesn't realize that when you're the one in charge, you're the one who takes the shots. You're the ones who take the hit. You're the one, and, and, it, and it comes from all different people. Opportunity from God is almost always met by opposition from Satan, Opportunity from God is almost always met with opposition from Satan. And you look, this is historically all throughout the scriptures as well. Think about it, when Nehemiah was going to rebuild the walls and, and to restore Jerusalem, how I many know as soon as he says, well, I'm going to start rebuilding walls, there was all these people going, no, you ain't going to do that. No, you ain't going to do that. When Paul starts preaching the gospel and he's going in and he's planting churches and preaching the gospel, here comes the enemy going, no, we're going to take you out. And we know all of the opposition that the Apostle Paul came with and the stonings and the false accusations and the imprisonments and all these things that started coming his way. When Jesus showed up on the scene, when everybody should be excited that the Messiah is here, there was a whole crowd of people that were super excited, but there was a whole crowd of people that were incredibly jealous. And you know the ones who were incredibly jealous were not the sinners, they were the religious people. And watch this, some of your greatest hurt won't come from sinners, it'll come from religious people. That as God is elevating you and as God is, is raising you and as God is promoting you, you just watch that the people who you think would be the ones that would be cheering you on and celebrating you are the ones who are trying to pull you down. They're the ones that are trying to tear you down because this is how the enemy works. The enemy doesn't just work through problems. How many know the enemy works through people? This is why a lot of people have left the church is because of church hurt. This is why a lot of people have left the faith because of hurt from people that they didn't expect it to be coming from. And if you're not ready for opposition, for obeying God, you're not ready to be used by God. Here's my prayer. My prayer as, as I lead this church and, and as we are empowering leaders and, and raising up people to step into all that God calls them to do Here's my prayer for myself and for us as a church. God, give us a soft heart and tough skin. But here's what ends up happening. As you grow in leadership, if you're not careful, you can get a tough skin and a hard heart. Because as God is using you, the enemy is going to bring opposition against you. This is why courage is such a huge deal. When, 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 when Moses died and Joshua took over, Joshua chapter one, the very first thing God tells Joshua is, Joshua, be strong and of good courage. And he tells him three times in one chapter. Why? Because God knows that he's now the leader and where he's going, which is the promised land, he's gonna have to fight some battles to get there. And if you're going to get to where God wants you to go, you got to know that you're going to have to fight some battles to get there, and you're going to need courage to do it. 
And so, understand that, how many of you in here, when you got saved, like God radically saved you and like it was, it was amazing, it was an amazing experience. How many of you, like when God radically saved you, it was an amazing experience. It was just, you felt forgiven, you felt free, you felt like you were on fire for the Lord. And how many of you know that as soon as that happened, all hell started breaking loose? Yeah. Right? Is that not true? Yeah. Stuff started happening in your marriage, stuff started happening with your kids, stuff started happening in your job. You're like, what in the world? You got to realize that you are now on the radar screen of the enemy, and the enemy, you are now a threat to him, and every time you're a threat to him, he's going to do everything he can to bring opposition against you to get you to quit, to get you to quit. Most people have not fully walked into their destiny, not because they failed, but because of fear. Fear has been the thing that has held them back. And so what ends up happening is, is these guys try to figure out a way. They can't figure out a way. They're, they've got no dirt on Daniel. And so if you read the next couple of scriptures, I'll just summarize it for you. They're like, the only way we're going to get Daniel is if we go after his faith. Let's attack his faith. And so they come up with a scheme. And the scheme is this. We know Daniel is a praying man. And so let's get the king, let's persuade the king to pass a law that says that no one can pray to anybody or any other God other than King Darius for the next 30 days. And so they bring this proposition before King Darius and it appeals to his ego, of course, and says, hey, dear king, we wanna propose something to you. What if, what if we just pass something where everybody praised you and prayed to you for 30 days? Wouldn't that be awesome? King D's like, yeah, that, that, that kind of would be awesome. And so he signs this bill and this law, and he passes it. And sure enough, as he does this, you're going to see what happens. Watch in verse 10. But Daniel, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, so he had heard about this, and when he found out that it had been signed, he went home and what? He knelt down as usual in his upstairs room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem. When he hears that this law has been passed, which was a law that was against his faith, he says, you know what, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just keep doing what I've been doing, just as usual, I'm gonna go to where I normally go. And he had some options at that moment. He could have just said, you know what, 30 days without praying, no big deal. I'll just wait the 30 days out. He could have protested. He could have, he could have, he could have done private prayer, which is what most people do, right? I pray just to myself. But he didn't. He just, he just went and did what he normally does. Opens up the windows and begins to pray to them, uh, pray to God, which leads us to our second thought and lesson from the lion's den. And that is when life gives you more than you can stand, kneel. When life gives you more than you can stand, kneel. Question, when did Daniel learn to trust God? Now let's think about this just for a moment. When did Daniel learn to trust God? Was it when he was in the lion's den? No, it was not. Daniel had learned to trust God, not in the lion's den, but in the prayer closet. Daniel, watch this, Daniel's faith was built 
not standing in a fight, but fighting on his knees. And I am absolutely convinced that the success of Daniel's life was divinely based off of his prayer life. Daniel determined that I desperately need God. And this scripture says, and you'll see in just a minute, he prayed not only just once a day, not just twice a day, he prayed three times a day. It was almost as if Daniel was going, I need to start my day with God. And how many know, when I get to the lunchtime, I leak. I need more God. And then when I get to the end of the day, I need to thank God that I made it through the day. And, 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 and prayer was such a part of who he was because Daniel knew that this is the peaceful way to live. The greatest way to live in a very stress-filled, adversity-driven life is to have a prayer life that is continually dependent upon the Lord, to let Jesus shoulder the weight. Because when I pray, I'm letting Jesus shoulder the weight. He's shouldering the weight of my marriage problems, and he's shouldering the weight of my work problems, and he's shouldering the weight of my financial problems, and he's shouldering the weight of my children problems. Because prayer is not our last resort, it's our first response, right? This is why we pray first, right? We remind ourselves here, God, I need you. God, I'm desperate for you. God, I want, and what ends up happening is when pressure comes, when life gives you more than you can stand, we usually have one of a couple options. First option, panic, right? That's, that's the first option. You get news and you panic. It hits you at your emotional level. And you panic not because you're, you're wrong, you panic because you're human, but, but, but there's a panic that sets in, and, 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 and that's kind of a knee-jerk thing. And you have a, a moment in there to, to make some decisions. When the panic wants to rise, when you get this news, you, you've got an option. You can either run, like you can flee, get out of here, but just run from this. You can kind of in pride try to like stand up against this and I've got this and I can figure this out and I'm gonna do this and, and you kind of like drill down and work harder and I'm gonna get this. But, but all successful people we see in scripture that when life came and hit them in the moment when they stood, they dropped to their knees and prayed. They made this declaration that I can't do this without God. When life gives you more than you can stand, you need to kneel. You need to kneel. Look what happens in verse 10. It says that he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day. Everybody say this next line with me. Just, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. So here's the third lesson that we can learn is that your current consistency will determine how you handle future adversity. Your current consistency will determine how you handle future adversity. This is a huge part here. Daniel prayed consistently three times a day. Watch this. As long as we know, in Daniel chapter one, we know he was in Daniel chapter one when the, when the king tried to give him the royal food and he went and prayed and sought the Lord and said, no, the Lord doesn't want us to do it. So from 15 to 80, 65 plus years that we know, 
this has been a part of the routine life of Daniel. Daniel didn't just pray once a day to keep the devil away. Daniel didn't just pray when it was convenient. Daniel didn't just pray when there was an emergency. Daniel consistently prayed throughout the day as a dependence. It was something he just did so routinely. So when, when the news came, you know what he said? I'm going to just keep doing what I've been doing. I'm going to just keep doing what I've been doing. Now, I want to I know in here, okay, this is an honest church. Hopefully you are honest in here. But I, how many of you in here would be honest and say, if you're joining us online, you can participate with us. How many of you in here would say you struggle with consistency? Raise your hand if you struggle with consistency. Okay, good bit of us. How many of you, like, you're a pretty consistent person. Like, you like things to be extremely consistent all the time. You've got a plan and, and all that stuff. That's all good. I, I'm, I'm kind of that way, too. Um, I like that. I'm not always the most consistent by any means, but I can struggle with consistency. And, and if we see in Scripture here that Daniel was a consistent man, why was he so consistent? What kept him so consistent? And I think there's a word. There's a word that, that, that we have to have, and it's the fuel for consistency. And here's the word, devotion. Devotion. When someone is devoted to something, it's almost like you cannot stop them. They are like so passionately devoted to it. There's this drive that's inside of them. How many of you seen people devoted to their job? You seen people? I mean, everything that they do is about their job and about winning and about getting it better and about, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but I'm just trying to show you, like, when people are devoted to something, they rearrange everything in their life around that devotion. You seen people devoted to their children? Everything in their world is wrapped around their children. Everything changes in their schedule around their children. Everything, some of you are like, I'm in that right now. I know what you're talking about. Okay, it's because we, we love our children. We, we love who they are. You see people who are devoted to money and everything is revolved around money. Or you see people devoted to sports. Yeah. See people devoted to a team. They will change their entire schedule to make sure they're there to watch the team. Why? Because they're devoted to it. Can I show you in the New Testament, when the church first got started, what the number one thing that the church was devoted to? Look in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says this. All the believers, everybody help me here. What, what is it? They what? All believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that means to, to hearing the word of God, to fellowship, to being with one another, to the sharing in meals. Come on, somebody, let's eat, all right? And to prayer. And to prayer. The New Testament church said, you know what? We're gonna be devoted. We're gonna be devoted to, to the word. We're going to be devoted to being with one another. We're going to be devoted to sharing meals together, taking the Lord's Supper together. We're going to be devoted to prayer. And it's crazy because when, when, I, when I talk to people about their, their time with the Lord, you know, some people call it a quiet time. Some people call it their, you know, this is my devotions. We say this is my devotions with an S. 
No, 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 no. It, it shouldn't be just your devotions. It should be your devoted. I'm devoted to be in the presence of God. I'm devoted. Watch this. When it's devoted, it's a love, not a duty. You know why people struggle reading their Bible? It's a duty more than a love. You know why you struggle praying and seeking the Lord? Because it's a duty, not a love. When it is a love, hey, listen, when you fall in love with someone, with a person, it's not a duty to call them. You want to call them. Hey, baby, I don't even talk on the phone, but I like talking to you. Keep doing it, Ricardo. Okay, keep doing that, all right? <laughs> Devotion is all about love. Devotion is the fuel. When I see people struggling, and, and you know, as Stephanie said, this is, a, this, is, this is a hard time. People are going through hard stuff. Many of you are walking through hard seasons, and I get it. I'm walking through it myself. But we can't lose our devotion. The moment you lose your devotion, you lose your consistency. See people struggling in their health battle? It's because they lost their devotion. They lost their why. They lost why they do it. Well, I guess it's just the way it's always going to be. And we lose the devotion part of it. And when you lose the love of it, you won't do the hard things. You won't do the consistent things. See, what you'll do then is determined by what you're doing now. And when Daniel got faced with the moment where he's going to get thrown in a lion's den, his faith was not in that moment. His faith had been developed in all the small moments. Stephanie made mention of a marathon runner. You know what a marathon runner is? A consistent 5K runner. That's all it is. It's just someone who just said, I'm not giving up, I'm gonna just keep going. I'm gonna just keep going. And if you wait until the time of the test to study for the test, how many know you're gonna fail the test? What you do now determines how you respond then. Any of y'all driven your kids to school and you go, hey, y'all got, got any tests? Uh, uh, and I'm like, I'm thinking, if they do, it ain't gonna be good. It ain't gonna be good. Why? Because when it comes test-taking time, that's not the study time. Test-taking time is you should have been doing all the stuff to prepare for that moment. And there are way too many Christians that when life hits them hard, that's when they start to pray. That's when they go to church. That's when they read their Bible. It's too late. Now, you need to do those things. You need to go after those things. But if you want to be a Christian who stands the test of time, who can shine in the darkness, who can stand when everything's coming against you, you've got to be a one who consistently spends time in the off season so you can be ready when it's the on season. The only reason, listen, the only reason those athletes can hit that shot in the last buzzer is because of what they've been doing for the last who knows how long of their life doing it when no one was in their face because they've been consistent in that. And if our relationship with God is just from emergency to emergency to emergency to emergency, you'll always fall, you'll always fall, you'll always fall, you'll always step back, you'll always have these failing moments because you have not realized that your current consistency will determine how you handle future adversity. Can I speak to high school and college students? You wanna know how you have courage to remain sexually pure? You don't determine in the moment that you're gonna be pure. 
You've got to predetermine before the temptation happens that I'm going to hold on to this, that I'm going to guard this, that I'm going to be a man or a woman of integrity. Same is true for any of us that, that are working business or whatever. You've got to predetermine the type of person you're going to be. You can't wait for the test. You've you got to know what you're going to do when the test comes. Hey, which, by the way, the test is coming. Hey, listen, there's tests for your marriage coming. There's tests for your friendships coming. There's tests for your faith that are coming. We've got to be a people that are consistent in the now to be ready for the then. So what ends up happening? Daniel goes into the room, kneels down, he prays, he surrenders to the Lord, and here we are, these high officials, they bust up into Daniel's house like the SWAT team. Ha-ha, I caught you. I knew it, I knew it. Why? And think about this, though. These guys knew that he was so public with his faith, they even knew his prayer routine. And they bust up in there, they take him captive, they run to King Darius, say, hey, listen, he broke up, broke, you know, broke your law. King Darius is so frustrated. He's so upset, not with Daniel. He's upset with these guys because he realized he's been bamboozled. And he's so mad at them. But he realizes he can't go back on his law. Like, it is a law he put in place. And so sure enough, of course, he gives the orders for Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den. Now, can I just say this? I know a lot of y'all think that I hate on cats too much. Okay, but listen. When a pagan king decided how the most way he was going to cruelly punish people, he put them with cats. Just letting y'all know that. That's unusual punishment to be tra- trapped with cats. Okay, verse 16, watch. So the king makes this order, right? And so it says, and he's, he's disheartened because he loves Daniel. I mean, Daniel's one of his top guys. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, as they're throwing him into the den, may your God... Whom you serve continually rescue you. May this God that you have been serving for eight decades, you've continually sought after the Lord. You know, Daniel didn't know that he was going to be some Sunday school lesson that was going to be told for centuries and centuries and thousands of years. Daniel didn't know at that moment that he was going to be on every felt board in Sunday school. He didn't know that. All he knew was that for eight decades, this God had been faithful to him. That's what he knew. No ifs, no ands, no buts, no what ifs, no how comes, no, no, this doesn't seem fair. If God has been faithful to me, then I will be faithful to him. Question, can that be said of us? That God has been faithful to us. God has been faithful. Will he be faithful? And so so he throws them in. They put the stone over over the den. He seals it with his signet ring. And the Bible says that King D goes back to his palace and he is distraught. He can't eat. He can't sleep. He's, He's just... 
he, he's just so disturbed by what's going on. And so the next morning, he wakes up. Go with me to verse 19, and we're, we're coming to the end. It says, at the first light of dawn, the king got up, and he hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, to see how distraught he is over this. He says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, here we go, here we go again, whom you serve continually, has he been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. Watch this. Next verse, it says, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. So notice, notice he didn't, he didn't chime back with, your mama. <laughs> right? Like, notice he didn't like clap back at him. Like, come get you some. You know, like, none of that which is what we normally would do, right? We would be so upset at what, you hurt me, look what you did. Like, notice he doesn't do anything towards Darius, King Darius, he gives credit all to God. You did this to me, but let me tell you what God did. God shut the mouths of the lions. God preserved my life. God is faithful to the end. No, I've never done anything wrong before you, your majesty. I was innocent before you. God defended me, and the king was overjoyed, and he gave orders to lift Daniel out. Lift him out, get him out. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. You know what strikes me about this story was that all night, everybody else was in a different kind of place except Daniel. The jealous high officials were up all night celebrating. The king was up all night worrying. His friends were up all night praying. The angel was up all night protecting. And Daniel was having his best sleep in the lion's den. Why? Because he trusted in God. He trusted in God. Think about that for a moment. Daniel, who's with lions, is getting better sleep than the king who's in the palace with everything he ever wanted. That's just to show you that peace doesn't come from anything outside. It comes from the inside out. Are y'all with me? That no matter what comes your way, you can sleep at night knowing that I trust in God. Oh, Pastor Josh, you don't know how crazy it is. It doesn't matter. All I know is that if we trust in God, God can give us supernatural peace that doesn't come from anything external. It only comes from what's going on internal. God can give me, how many know that's a fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. If you are lacking any of those, it may be because you're trusting in yourself more than God. Or you're trusting in something more than someone. Dan Listen, there are no, this is so huge here. I'll get, I'll get to that in a minute. I don't want to jump ahead. Number four, number four. Just because you trust in God, by the way, doesn't mean that bad things will never happen to you. It just means this. Here's what it does mean. Number four, results are God's responsibility. Obedience is mine. 
Results are God's responsibility. Obedience is mine. I think most people want a lion's den experience. Maybe not the danger part, but we want the miracle part, right? We want the miracle side of it. But most people will never have the opportunity to see God's faithfulness in the big moments because we have not been obedient to God in the small moments. And when you get obedient to God in the small moments, how I many know oh, God shows up in the big moments? I'm just faithfully doing this over the course of time. Nobody sees it. Nobody gets credit for it. I don't get exalted for it. But there comes a moment when God shows up in a big moment because you've been faithful in the small moments. He who is faithful in the little things will be entrusted with more. He'll be entrusted with much. We want the big moments, but we don't want to do the small moments that it takes to get the big moments. And so our part is daily obedience. Results are on God. Obedience is on me. And I would suggest that the main character in this story is not Daniel. You know how you know who a main character is in a movie? Because at the climax of the crisis, the camera stays on that person. Stays on them the whole time. And you get to watch how this person responds in that crisis moment. And when, when, when Daniel goes, watch this, when Daniel goes in the lion's den, we don't have one verse that says what happens in the den. We don't know if he was like, good kitty, good kitty, good kitty. We don't know. We don't know if he was on his hands and knees. We don't know if he was riding around on some. Like, we don't, like, I don't know. I, we don't know if he snuggled up on one of them. Like, we have no verses that talk about what Daniel does or what happens in the lion's den. The only thing we know is that God shut the mouths of the lions. That's it. Because when Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den, the camera goes to Darius. Let's watch him. And Darius is the one who goes home. And in all of his pleasure and in all of his, all of his success and all of his wealth and all of his kingdom, he's still afraid and he's still full of, of anxiety and anguish. He can't sleep at night. He can't eat. You're watching Darius. And then in the morning, it go, stays on Darius. And Darius running to the, to the lion's den. Stays on Darius. Daniel, are you down there? Danny, are you okay? Are you okay, Danny? Okay, so. <laughs> Y'all got that? Y'all like that? Okay. Stays on him. That's just me. I, I can't apologize for who I am. That's how I think. I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> and then here we are in this moment. Stays, camera stays on Darius. Whole time. You keep reading that verse. He says, get all of the high officials and their family, throw them in. And it says that their bodies couldn't even hit the ground that the lions tore them up in the moment. So it wasn't that the lions weren't hungry. God literally shut their mouth. But the camera stays on Darius. It never goes back to Daniel, doesn't go, stays on Darius the whole time. And here we are in verse 25. Camera's still on Darius. I think this should be Darius in the lion's den, not Daniel in the lion's den. Because this really was about Darius. And how many of you know throughout every sermon that I've been doing and Pastor Dustin's been doing, we've talked, it's really been about God reaching these pagan kings. It really hasn't been about Daniel. 
It really hasn't been about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's been about God getting the gospel out to a broken, hurting people to see how good God is. And watch. King Darius, here we go. Camera zooms in on him. He wrote to all the nations and all the people of every language and all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the what? Remember, Babylon, many gods, hundreds of gods. And here we are, the king, the pagan king says, there's one living God that has been proven today. And he endures forever. And his kingdom will not be destroyed. And his dominion will never end. And he rescues and he saves and he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel is in a book of the Bible where we see the most amazing sermons preached by the most wicked kings. The greatest messages you hear in these chapters have been coming from wicked kings. Now, here's the question, and this is how we end. How do people far from God learn about the goodness of God? They see the people of God go through hell and not coming out smelling like smoke. They see people of God going in the lion's den that should have taken them out, and they come out giving honor and glory to God. Are y'all with me today? They shine in the darkest times. So for all of you in here, like, I just wish it wasn't so hard. I just wish it wasn't so heavy. I just wish it wasn't so dark. Hey, listen, God never removed the lion. God never removed the fire. God never removed the broken dreams. God never removed those. God was with them in it, God was for them in it. God strengthened them in it. God was shining through them in it. And they came out on the other side and what was their pain was their platform. The greatest microphone to a deaf world is a person walking through pain. So if you're walking through pain today, welcome to the club. If you're like, oh, man, I didn't really sign up for this. I wanted, like, the heaven and the blessing and the forgiveness and, like, the, you know, give it all to me, God. Like, help me. Like, I shouldn't have problems. I shouldn't have tribulation. I shouldn't have opposition. You signed up for the wrong kingdom. Because when you enlisted into this kingdom and you serve under the king of kings and the Lord of lords, everything they did to that king, they'll do to you. So this is what we learn in Daniel. They learn that as Daniel and his friends live with conviction and courage and consistency in front of them, God promises that he'll be with them. My prayer is that our Savior's church, that we would shine in Jennings in Welsh, in Roanoke, in Jeff Davis Parish, in Acadia Parish, in St. Landry Parish, in all of South Louisiana, like these guys shown in Babylon. That when the world gets darker, we get brighter. That we would be consistent to spend time in the presence of God. 
so that when the, when the moment comes when you des- desperately need God, it won't be like a foreign voice. But you'll have the confidence to know, I know the voice of God because I've been hearing God's voice in the good days so I can hold on to him in the bad ones. Amen. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for this story. This story is not about how amazing Daniel is. This story is about how amazing you are. And God, the, the, the incredible great news of the gospel is that when times are tough, when the world throwing everything at us, that we have the power as a people of God surrendered to you to come before you. That prayer is a weapon. We don't have to do this under our own strength. God, you've given us supernatural strength to shine in the darkness, to be a light. God, I pray for every person that is watching right now, those that are here in this room, that are walking through their own adversity. God, maybe you're convicting us because we haven't been consistent. We've allowed the hardships of life to steal our devotion to you. And really, our time with you has become more duty than it's been devotion. God, we just repent of that. We repent of that. God, I pray for those that are in this room that, God, maybe they've believed a lie that their best days are behind them. I don't don't really have anything to offer. I don't know what God can do through me. That God, no matter the age or the stage of their life, if they're not dead, they're not done. God, you have incredible things that you still want to do through them that all of us in here can continue to preach the gospel, can continue to make disciples, can continue to point people to you. God, forgive us if our heart has gotten hard and our skin has gotten tough, our, our skin has gotten soft. Holy Spirit, right now, would you do a transforming work and would you soften hearts and toughen skin? Soften hearts. Soften hearts. The pains of life that have hardened hearts, the circumstances of life that have hardened hearts, the things that we've gone through that have hardened hearts. God, we just release those things. We release those people. We release those moments. We will not live in bitterness. We'll not live in brokenness. God, we won't live in dysfunction. God, we want to live under the blessings of you. Open heaven today. Heaven, come down. Fill your people today. Fill your people today. Thank you today that we recognize that when we fully trust in you, we can walk through the hardest of times. And God, when life tries to knock us down, I pray that we would kneel. That prayer would be our first response. So God, we just depend on you. We, we declare our dependence towards you. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in this room. And I, I, I can't close today without giving an invitation to those that are in here that maybe have, have never surrendered your life to Jesus. The Bible says that a man can't enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. 
Born again is not something that happens physically, of course. It's something that happens spiritually, that our spirit comes alive. And before that happens, really, we are our own king. We're our own God. The Bible says that it is sin that has broken our relationship with God. And for all have sinned. All of us have fallen short. All of us are in need of the mercy and the grace of Jesus. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. There's nothing that you can do. There's no church that you can go to. There's no priest or pastor that can pray this over you. This is something that you have to do yourself where you make a declaration that, God, I, I repent and turn from my own sins and being my own God, and, God, I place you as Lord of my life. And the Bible says that if you will confess your sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you. That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you too will be saved. And if there's any of you that are here in this room and that's you, I want you just to make this declaration today. I want you to say, dear Lord Jesus, come on, pray this with me. We all in this room say, dear Lord Jesus, today I recognize my need for you. You came on this earth to find me, to live a life I couldn't live, to die a death that I deserve to die because of my sins. But today I turn from my selfishness, I turn from my sins, and I thank you that on the cross you took every one of those and you have given me your righteousness because of what you've done on the cross. So today I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is my Savior, that the Holy Spirit is my helper, and I believe it with my heart. Today, come be the Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, fill me. Change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Come on, OSC.